this show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 187 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how are you doing this week? Good. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good. It's um, apparently there's a storm warning over here, but uh, it's been a beautiful sunny day for the last few days, but uh, yeah, expecting storms. And for people who don't know, over here is Savannah, Georgia, right? Yeah. Not okay. for long. Not for long. Right. So you're moving back in about a month almost, exactly, right? Yeah, should be back by July 4. Oh, Cool. So how, how many of your boxes did you open? Because you had, we, we've talked about how you, you found that moving company on Yelp and all those problems and you finally got all your boxes. How much of it did you actually unpack? Um, I, it, more like how many didn't we? So it's probably like, I don't know, there's like six or eight in the cupboard that aren't opened, but the rest <laughs> of them are. Yeah. All right. We've, we've moved in all right. by this stage. Sure, we've been here a few months at this stage, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what's new? Well, um, been working on Plugio. It's still not out there to the point where the whole new freemium stuff is in the bag. Um, I'm expecting that to happen by the f- this following weekend. Um, of course, this weekend having what's what's the name of that holiday this weekend? Or Memorial Day. A Memorial Day this weekend, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that kind of slows things down a bit because we lose the day. Everyone's off on Monday. Um, but I'm hoping to get the free stuff out by the following weekend, and then hopefully we'll start seeing some real momentum. So the old version was on Plugio.com, and the new version is on Plug.io, Plug with two Gs? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people, if they're interested, can kind of go to either one and check them out. They can, and, and but the new version that's on Plug.io has the new design, except we've superseded that new design after doing some customer research and doing some after... after um, you and me going away and spending some time at microconf when i came back i realized that i needed to make it freemium and also that i looked at some pictures of customers and realized that this the whole design that we've done is targeted completely incorrectly i mean they're just kind of the plugio customers are, are regular people normal people and the market that we should be going after is people who are using twitter um and want to start you know finding it's kind of frustrating um but then they go and look at something like Hootsuite, and that's, that's just too kind of enterprise. You know, the Hootsuite just have a $9 option and a $10,000 option, or whatever it is, a $9 option and a $1,000 option. There's right. nothing in between in the marketplace. Right. Um, no, nothing good that I've seen. So that's, that's the gap that we're trying to fill. We're trying to get people who are exactly in between. And the, and the perfect example of that is that I have an 81-year-old customer who uses Plugio and loves it. And... Yeah. So you're kind of doing what WordPress. Uh, you're trying to do. You're you're doing what, what WP Engine uh, did in terms of your targeting. So you remember yeah. we talked to Jason Cohen and he said that WordPress um, actually invested in them, and Arcs is called Automatic. I guess Automatic is the company that um, that invested in and and they run WordPress.com. You know Matt Mullenweg, I guess, is the CEO, and they have a free version. And WordPress.com, and then they have some premium version, which is expensive, like $1,000 a month or something. Yeah. And WP Engine went after that middle area. 
um, $100, $200 a month, $50 a month, something like that, right? So, and that's interesting when you have a market like that where Hootsuite leaves that wide open. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly what we're going after. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, why, why do you think that they have a free? I mean, you wouldn't think you would need a freemium version if you're charging a thousand dollars a month. I mean, you, you, you mean, like, does Oracle have a free version? You know, it just doesn't seem like that would freemium would work when you have when your paid version is that expensive. Well, they have a paid version for for nine dollars a month or ten dollars a month, I think it is as well. So, so it's it's free, ten dollars a month. And then $1,500 a month. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I mean. I mean, $10 is essentially free compared to $1,500 a month. You know, it's like you, you'd think that they would have um, something in the middle there. But anyway, it's good, good for you that they don't because that's, I'm sure there's a lot of room in there. A lot of people who'd be interested in, in having sort of a power Twitter client, um, but don't have $1,500 a month for it. Well, I thought it was interesting that, that we have an 81-year-old who's using it. And that, that's kind of, it, it's, it's um, talking to Paul Pates about this as well, um, it, from Innovative Disruption. And he's saying that that's kind of like a new market. R- rather than trying to cannibalize the Hootsuite market, it's more like trying to create this new disruptive market, which is people who are using Twitter, who have a couple of accounts, don't want to go all the way up, but just kind of want to go, just want to get a little bit more effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So anyway, that's, that's the thinking. That's where I'm at. How about you? What do you well, want to do? Well, 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 when's the next, uh, when's the estimated release date on this? Well, uh, the actual plugio itself is, is released. I finished all the videos. Remember I had to do the videos. I did like 60 videos, 60 health videos. And these are like, um, these are like, like mini how to videos or something. Yeah. Each, each video. Yeah. So, so there's, there's, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, there's six plugio screens. Each one is like a little app in its own, right? So you've got your Twitter screen your feed screen, your schedule screen. Every time you click on one of those screens in the, in the bottom right-hand side, you get a, a list of help videos. And um, each list is co- um, contextual based on whichever screen you're in. So okay. yeah, some of those videos range from like eight seconds to 45 seconds, helping you do one little thing on Plugio. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, that's probably a lot easier than having to read through text and look at screenshots to figure out how to click through things. That's, that's yeah. Cool. yeah. And then also the other thing, the other bit of news for Plugio is I've finally fully integrated Facebook. So you don't, we don't need to use Ping FM anymore because Ping FM have just decided to close down. Um, Ping FM was a service that allowed people to, to post to multiple social networks. And so you could enter in your Ping FM API key. Now, Ping FM was bought by Seismic. Seismic now have decided that they're going to close Ping FM which is a shame because it's been going for, you know, a long time. So like a, an aqua hire type of thing where they just bought the engineers? Well, it was a long time ago, a long time ago. I think it was about two years ago that they bought it. Um, but but they've, they, they had left Ping FM just going, you know, and, and everyone was using it. It was, it was a great service. It enabled you to post to like 20 different social networks. But they've decided to close it down and just go with their app called Seismic Ping. But that only posts to Facebook and uh, Twitter and Tumblr. So... There's, there's really no point using that. I mean, might as well just use our own system. Plus also the seismic thing is an extra charge for customers because people have to pay to use that service. So ping, ping, uh, the original ping FM was free. Yeah. And yeah. it did it, was it, was it continue? Did it continue to be free after it was acquired? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It, it was been free for the last couple of years. Yeah, that's probably why they shut it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the problem with free. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's, 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 it's one thing to write open source software that you give away for free because you could just throw it up on GitHub or whatever. And then if you don't feel like dealing with it anymore, you just, you know, walk away, right? People can use it or not or 
continue with it or whatever. But with a service, it's like this ongoing responsibility. It's ongoing obligation. And if it's not really doing anything for you, um, leading, giving you business for another part, uh, uh, giving you giving you customers for another part of your business, or it's not making money of itself. It's just like, you know, it stuff just well, runs I, out of gas pretty quick. I mean, I went looking for other services to replace it um, before <sighs> making the decision to kind of go with Facebook natively. And um, I couldn't find anything apart from one called HelloText, which is H-E-L-L-O-T-X-T.com. And same thing, completely free. And they've built like iPad app, iPhone app, Android app. And their, their service is just um, unsupported. Like the last time that they answered a support thing was about two years ago or something or a year ago. Like for, for some reason, people just go for these free things. Like that service could have totally been bootstrapped and paid Many people would find value in a service like that, but they just decided to be completely, completely free, just like Ping FM decided to be completely free. Yeah, I, I mean, I can understand why services start out as free because it allows you to get something out there that that may not be bulletproof and that you you couldn't comfortably charge for, and you figure, okay, well, it's not good enough to charge for. We don't, maybe we don't have the bandwidth to do customer support because you're doing it on the side and you're just not around to help people. And so you just give it for free. And then you think, okay, well, at some point we're going to turn the knob and start charging for it. But maybe you never get to the point where you feel like you can charge for it or you just get distracted by their stuff. And because it's making you no money, you start thinking, okay, well, we got to turn this dial and turn, you know, and, 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 and start making money, but we're not making any money. And it's still going to take us months before we're making a, a, a decent amount of money. And, you know, I got this other job or clients that I'm dealing with and it just kind of dies. They must have invested, though, in the HelloText thing because it it's, looks very professional and um, it has, like I said, it has these three different apps. It has all of these different systems. Um, I think that just somewhere along the road, they realized, oh, we, we don't think we can monetize this. Or I don't know. I mean, who knows what the story is? But anyway, um, they've they just let it go, it looks like. Yeah, I'd love yeah. I'd love to hear from them. But if anyone knows who they are or knows their story, I'd love to just just as sort of an anecdote, right? Because this yeah. happens all the time. We'd be curious to find. Okay, so you know, here's a here's a here's a example case. What happened? Why did you guys give up? You, you guys created something that apparently was useful and was really well done, and you just kind of stopped. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I could compare it to like what happened with me and Prezio, Prezo back in you know 2000 seven, which is that, you know, you, you know, had investment and we were working on it and then, uh, the whole Google acquisition didn't happen. And then they released a competitor that was free and that was part of a whole suite of, of other, of, um, the other office apps. And they just thought, well, there's, how are we going to charge for this? And we're about out of money. And it was like, you know, what do you do at that point? It's like, I had to go figure out how to make a living, you know, I had to do consulting. So you can, that's the, that was my particular case. And so you could see that if they had investment, and they hadn't, and they hadn't figured out how to make money, and they just run out of investment. And the investors don't want to put any more money in. And whoever's developing is like, "Well, I got to go get a job or do consulting work," and then they stop. But subsequently, we find out that it doesn't really matter that Google make a free version. People still do charge, you know, charge versions. Like you, you could have made that a premium version. Um, just Possibly. like Google have Google have Google Analytics, and there's plenty of very premium analytics systems. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that was, if I had understood that a little better at the time, I'm, you know, and I know we've gone through this, so I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but sure. there, it was it was back at that time, back around that time of 2006, 2007, uh, there was this sort of term going around called the Google nuclear winter. Yeah. So whenever Google would enter a market and release something that was free, and that was, 
you know, good. It didn't have to be awesome, but was but was good. It was sort of drive out the innovation because all the startups would be like, all right, well, s- screw it, you know. Because you have to think back at that time, and Google was swallowing the earth, right? It was swallowing the internet. And Google was its behemoth. It was like what Microsoft was in the mid '90s. It's like if once they went to a market, you might as well just just leave because they're just going to dominate it and you're just going to get crushed. And I think people are starting to feel that that was going to happen with Google and not just um, as startup people, but just as users. Users would be like, well, why am I going to use this service? I'll just use Google because the other ones are going to just go out of business or be run out of business by Google's free offering. And investors didn't want to invest. And it was just very depressing reality because they just yeah. would enter everywhere. And they were just, you know, it, it in some ways it was like, you know, you think like, well, from their perspective, they think, oh, we're just, you know, we're making the internet better because we're creating all these cool tools that are free. And, you know, we're trying to be good guys and just create innovation or some innovate on our own. But the problem was, is that when you kill a market like that, you kind of kill innovation because all the startups that would be innovating and would be um, creating new features and new twists on things just stop. They're like, well, we can't, there's no way we can make a living in this. It's be very difficult to make a living at this. So just screw it. And that was the pervasive sort of sentiment at the time, 2000. 6 2007 and, and google was just really scary in that way and uh i, I mean i know that if, and that it infected my thinking to to some degree okay changing this changing the subject <laughs> so so jason how much money did you make with your facebook shares <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so and by the way you didn't help me buy any shares on monday like you said you would i know i told you i wasn't going to help you <laughs> Remember I said after Oh yeah, you said you weren't gonna help me because you knew Georgie was gonna kill me. Okay, fair enough. Good point. Yeah, no, no. So um She's nodding her head on the other side of the table. She's going, Right, see, I told you. She this is what she said to me. She said, listen to me for investment advice. Don't listen to anyone else, just listen to your wife. <laughs> well, I think a good rule of thumb is don't invest in anything you don't understand and don't invest with money you're not willing to lose. You know, right. if you're doing anything that's risky. Right. I mean, yeah. if, if, if there's any money you're going to put at play, you better be you better measure your the real risk you're taking and, and, and feel like, OK, it's like when you go to Vegas or something. It's like, don't if you can afford to lose five hundred dollars, that's the only money you're going to, you know, bet with. Don't show up with five thousand dollars because then you're going to be depressed for the next few months. Now, and, now did, did, did I read a post on the front page of Hacker News that had the title Facebook IPO, the worst performing IPO in human history? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So here's what happened. I'll, I'll kind of just uh, reset the context so people understand. So it was the morning of the IPO. And, um, you know, of course, it was nonstop talk about this everywhere. I mean, you couldn't get away from the talk. I mean, it was 60 Minutes or CNBC or I mean, anywhere. It was just the Google IPO. And so and in the retail market Not was Google, a Facebook IPO. I'm sorry, Facebook. IPO. So everybody was just transcend. And uh, and so it was the morning of, and I was sort of eating my breakfast, watching um, Bloomberg, and uh, I, I turned to Sandy and I said, "Why don't we just put a couple limit buy orders? We we'll just we'll just I think we put like two thousand dollars worth, and you know, split it between a, a limit buy at forty five and a limit buy at fifty, just in case it pops." Okay. And um, and I, I had a feeling that uh, the way it was going to go was like a lot of these IPOs that people get really excited about it pops, you know, which opens up at. 42 and might have gone to 60 or 70 and that might have finished up at like, you know, 50 or something or 48 yeah. something. And I, I, I could just seem like that was going to happen. And it was largely because of the, uh, the NASDAQ's malfunction that the whole market just seized up and trades didn't happen and none of this happened and it just freaked everybody out. And yeah, there were, there were definitely signs that, you know, 
well, okay, so that was a big problem right there. So we didn't we put our buy orders in, and we didn't get f- acknowledged that they were filled until five thirty in the evening. This is specific time. This yeah. is eight is Eastern time. So, I mean, it was all day, which never ever happens. I mean, you send in an order, a buy order. I mean, you're going to get acknowledged, especially if it's if it should be filled immediately. So that was a major problem, and so that killed this whole idea of a one day of a pop, right? <laughs> Yeah. So now I'm stuck with this position. And, um, you know, I, I think had there not been a, um, a malfunction like that, which I'd never seen happen before, probably would have worked out. <laughs> but sometimes huh. the un, the, something that you don't expect to happen happens. And, um, and people, you know, there, there were other things going on with like, um, uh, I know that, the, uh, the, that the Facebook had, um, their their management had uh, given some indication to some of the underwriters and inside uh, lead investors that their revenue target they're having trouble with some revenue issues that they weren't going to hit some revenue target or whatever it was and these insiders kind of ha- had some knowledge that wasn't disseminated to the public and I don't know there were just some irregularities and there's definitely some issues and. Um, whatever. So yeah, I mean, so that's what happens. I mean, sometimes you try and get a little cute and I was trying to get a little cute, you know, I wasn't. So, like, so did you sell? I mean, did you, or do you, are you going to hold on to it and hope that it goes well, up? Yeah. I mean, so I, I could have sold the next day at a minor loss of, you know, whatever, but we didn't, we didn't sell. We're just, we just hold on, held on to it. So I don't know. I think we'll just probably let it sit for a while. If it goes too low, it might sell out part of the position, but I don't know. I think, I think what's happened now is, you know, and again, this is all just—I mean, feel. I mean, this this isn't like I have any hard numbers to back anything up. Um, I just think probably what'll happen is that it'll go down for a little while, and then they'll start hitting some numbers. They'll do something. They'll do something that's going to be on the positive side, and people are going to be like, "Oh crap, maybe this is actually a real deal." And then we don't want to get—you sh- know—we don't want to be sh- uh, shaken out of this, you know, position because of this short-term screw up. Facebook does actually, you know, own a huge part of the web, you know. And it, yeah, uh, I mean, I, th- I think, I mean, I think as a long-term investment, I mean, hey, listen, I know nothing about the stock market, but to me, it just seems logical that just having it as a long-term investment makes sense because look, they have, eight, what is it, 800 million people or something like that? 900 million. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, like they have so many different ways that they can monetize. You know what I was thinking? I was looking at the, the, the some Hacker News post they were talking about. I think that the, a really good monetization strategy for them would be to buy something like Skype or build something like Skype and completely integrate it with Facebook so that, so that Facebook became basically a, a, a telecommunication company. Hmm, a telecommunication company. Yeah, but so because like you, if, if you automatically included Skype in, in every Facebook contact on every single page, then... And you could capture all of the revenue through Skype because Skype makes a lot of revenue through people calling each other. You know, people yeah. buy ten dollars subscriptions. I mean, Skype makes a lot of revenue. Well, you, you, you without even using Skype, I mean, you could just use. I mean, um, you have like Google Hangouts, right? I mean, Google allows you to, you know, built into Google Plus, you can actually use video um, conferencing just like you do on Skype, right? No, I know, but but Skype, like a large part of Skype's money is internet to land. So mm-hmm. that's what that's why I'm saying it would be an opportunity for for Facebook to become to get, move into telecom telecoms, mm. so that they could get um, the internet to land money because obviously that's that's going to cost that's you know people can't do that for free right so those that you with Skype you pay ten bucks a month or you have a subscription 
And basically, when you're calling out to landlines, you pay, I think it's two cents a minute or something like that. So if Skype was fully integrated into Facebook and Facebook owns Skype, then they could, like I say, capture that revenue and all, all the other different things that Skype do. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I think that 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 could work. And I th- just there's just when you have such a huge piece of the mainstream market, there's just a lot of ways that you can make money off of that. Exactly. So you know, while it, while their their current um, you know their uh, ratio is a hundred to one, like their their valuation versus the revenue or something, like they made a billion dollars yeah. and they were valued at a hundred billion, and you know, that that obviously deserve some some skepticism for sure and but again you have to look at it, you know there's a certain there's a few big players in this world that have sort of special position and Google and Facebook are two of them and uh, so I don't know and, and anytime the herd starts believing something so if the herd the herd is now the herd was convinced that it was going to pop and then now the herd is convinced that the whole thing was a was a was a fake out that it's just going to go down to nothing. So then I'd start being a little skeptical. So once, once everybody's convinced it's going down, that's when the professionals are going to probably start buying it up cheap. And, yeah. um, you know, Makes sense. and then uh, it'll accumulate, accumulate positions in Facebook, especially if it goes into the twenties. Um, they may start. Well, I think of myself as a professional. So, that's that's why I'll be buying Facebook when it goes to the twenties. That's the position I'm going to take. Right, right. Well, actually, I meant the professional investors, but sure, why not? Of course, I don't even know what position means anyway. So you just want to—you'll buy some shares. You'll start buying yeah, some shares. Yeah. Well, because then hopefully you'll show me how to do it, which you didn't last Monday. Yeah. Thank God you didn't. But anyway. So yeah, I, you know, sure, I'll help you uh, buy some shares or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, buying 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 stock or. Or, or futures or anything on the web is about as hard as buying a book on Amazon. It's not, it's, it's just, it's not a big deal. All so, right. uh, but you know, the, my, the general rule of thumb is though is, and I've said this before is just, you know, you only want to um, put at risk money that you're not going to be upset if you lose. So like, for instance, you know, we may be down like four or five, maybe 500 bucks on the Facebook stock. And it's like, not a big deal. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, if it was, if I was down 5,000, I'd be pissed. <laughs> But 500 yeah. is not, is not going to break the bank. So you just, you just, uh, you know, you just, just got to kind of um, pay attention to that rule. Well, as a matter of fact, we're actually up 100 because we got a donation from Philip Kerkesh. Kerkesh. Um, so thank you oh. very much for that donation. That, do you remember that $100 donation? I don't. I didn't see it. I, did, was oh. this, is, I, I don't think I get these auto alerts from Indiegogo that you get. Oh, okay. Fair enough. It wasn't from Indiegogo. It's from PayPal. But um, so he says, hi, guys. I just want to say thank you for texting. It's by far my favorite podcast. And I can't tell you how often I click uh, iTunes and refresh it, hoping that a new episode might be in. Also, thank you for, for your feedback on Cashbase. Uh, remember, he sent us an email about Cashbase? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. Now I remember. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I did read that email. Cool. Right. So go on. What, what, t- talk about Cashbase. So he says, we launched our pro membership last month and actually started to generate some revenue. We have 33 paying customers right now at $5 a month. So we're, we're taking a large chunk of their revenue. Uh, lots to do, many ideas to make happen. Well, I think it's awesome to actually hear someone who's really something and making money. That's, I mean, that's, that's like the hardest part over and done with already right there. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, now let me just do, is, is it Cashbase HQ? Cashbasehq.com. Personal yeah. finance made simple, right? Yep, I think and- so. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's wow. It's, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, 
you know, getting something launched is the first step. And then, if you, you know, that's always a big deal. If you can get anything launched beyond anything beyond the show hacker news, like, hey, look yeah. what I did over the weekend. You actually launch something that represents some significant amount of work. That's a big deal. And if you can actually make some money beyond, like, your mom buying, <laughs> buying it for you and testing out the credit card, that's pretty cool. Well, I'd also like to say to any texting listeners, um, if, you, if you do get a chance, please do go to cash, cashbasehq.com and check it out. See what you think of the app and post your feedback and comments on the blog. Um, because I think, you know, these, 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 it looks like a great design. It looks like a great, a great system. So I think it's worth yeah. checking out. Yeah. Very, very cool. We have a lot of, we've had a lot of personal finance uh, apps launched by our, by our texting listeners, I've noticed. Yeah. It's at least three. There's the, right? I mean, the Birdie from Corey Moss yeah. and uh, the guys down in Australia. Um, I'm blanking on theirs at the moment. <laughs> I feel bad about it. But, uh, you know, they, if you're listening, guys in Australia, <laughs> leave, your, leave a link in the, uh, the comments. But they all might be a little different in what they do. But um, why do you think that's, uh, why do you think the personal finance is catching on as an app category? I don't know. I mean, I guess because it's something that it, it, you know, you know, they say that there's those three things that you can do. You can entertain people, you can save people money and you can make people money. Mm -hmm. I guess it's, it falls into the saving people money category. Um, so I guess it's desirable for people because everyone wants to save money. Right. I think it's also, there's a couple of things going for it. One is that it, uh, it works well with like a, um, with a mobile, with a smartphone, iPhone or Android. Yeah. Because, you know, for five years ago, people weren't really carrying around phones like this, so you couldn't do this stuff. You would have to, like, take your receipts home and type them into your computer at home, which is just sort of out of the workflow, right? Yeah. But if you're there kind of on the fly, it's a little easier to probably do these kinds of things. Um, or it's the kind of thing you can just sort of catch up with, like if you're sitting on the train or waiting in line somewhere. Um, the other thing is it's not like a, a particular domain expertise. Like you don't have to work in an industry for four or five years to understand enough about it to create an app in that in that domain, right? Like personal mm. finance is sort of, it's like to-do lists, right? Or bug, or bug, or bug manage, or, you know, project management software, or things like task lists. I mean, these are things that are, that are sort of fairly simple and, and, and sort of common knowledge among anybody in the. What are some things that you do need domain knowledge for? Oh, like Give, give some examples. Uh, tra trading applications, you know, the world of like trading. trading app, I, I guess like a fully blown accounting app, you probably would need. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, a lot of them are you would need to be, but like, like in the trading, I mean, you couldn't just like, you know, after a few months, really know how to what you were doing. You would need to spend, you probably need to spend years of time to understand how to how professional traders work and the kind of all the technical issues. And I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 involved, and there's a lot of domains like that. It's just involved, um, and uh, that's why a lot of the consumer software is it attracts uh, is attractive because you could take younger people who don't have experience in an industry, kids right out of college or in college or, or whatever. And, you know, and they can just build stuff for other consumers, right? There's no real expertise, but if you're building something for like petroleum industry, you know, like it's some kind of complex analytics is trying to figure out where to drill based on, you know, some, you know, scientific studies of the, of the land. I mean, you know, you or I are not going to do that. Right. We don't know anything about it. You know, I was, this is slightly, slightly related. I was talking to Georgie this morning and um, I was musing over the fact that I'm 43. I'm still trying to get past $4,000 revenue a month for my first app. And Elon Musk 
has <laughs> built PayPal and uh, Tesla Motors and SpaceX and successfully launched a rocket and probably going to end up on Mars. It does make you feel like, you know, what, what, what how did he do that? You know, how, how come I'm so crap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've I've had a similar I've had a similar reaction. Um, I think I think a lot of us who've who are consider ourselves who are who are in the technology startup world because you want to do something big, and sometimes it's just uh, you know it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. And um, I think um, I think you have you're you you in, in one sense you're inspired by what he's done, right? I mean, watching the whole SpaceX thing happen with all the naysayers and critics and, you know, see the, see them actually be able to launch a, launch a rocket into, into orbit and be able to have their dragon capsule, you know, actually dock with the international space station. I mean, that is unbelievable, especially since uh, he, he was going, he was really putting this with his own money. I mean, largely, I mean, I think I, I read something on Quora um, about this where I think like, so that he had, there was three big launches of the rocket if, at least, I maybe I could be off on some details, but this is essentially what happened. So the first rocket launch failed, right? And and after that rocket launch, the U.S. whoever whatever agency's in charge of you know allowing you to launch a rocket said you can't you can't launch another rocket in the U.S. because the first one failed. And I mean maybe there's some other issues. So he then went and bought an island um, and launched a second rocket, and uh, it failed. And then so he then they and then he put his last hundred million in and that he could that he could really afford to invest in this. And I think it was I don't think it was all of his money, it was pretty damn close. And the third launch happened. And that's what allowed them to get the contract with NASA, as far as I understand. And the guy who was writing about this, I think it was one of the people who uh was one of the um it wasn't one of the co-founders, but he was a had a pretty major position at PayPal. So he knows Elon pretty well. He's like, you know, one of the differences between Elon and a lot of other people is that he just has very, very high risk tolerance. Like he would, I mean, it's one thing for you or I to put our last, you know, $5,000 into something. It's one thing for you to have your, put your last hundred million <laughs> into something, right? Yeah. Um, and you might be like, oh, it was worth a billion. Now I'm only worth a hundred million and I could be going down and working a day job again if this fails, you know, yeah. or, or, or close, maybe not that bad. I mean, you could just see the, that most, you know, successful entrepreneurs, if they had gotten to that point, wouldn't have put their entire net worth at risk. And I don't know. I mean, he just, um, he has a huge risk tolerance. So you were saying that you were saying in one sense, it's inspiring, but in the other sense? Yeah, well, it, it makes you, it makes you a little uh, frustrated because you're like, damn it. You know, this is exactly the kind of thing that you want to do. You want to, you want to, go after the really cool world-class hard problems and, and make a huge impact. I mean, the, I mean, what, I mean, what could be cooler than launching rockets into space, starting your own space exploration company or whatever space company and then eventually sending something out, sending rockets to Mars or whatever. I mean, that is just, I mean, I wouldn't worry. Just, I mean, you can live vicariously through Colby, so he's going to make that happen. So <laughs> it's not a problem. Right. Right. Yeah. So, well, you know, it's kind of funny you say that. Um, I, I, uh, well, let's see. A couple of things I want to say about that. So, I I definitely have been thinking a little bit about like you know how do you get how do you prepare your kids who have an interest like that so that they ha- have every chance that they need to to do to do something like that, right? Well, and one of the things is the first thing I'd go back to is is he actually made a comment um, because he was being there was an interview with Elon Musk 
and, and, and they said, well, why is it that like you and Jeff Bezos and the, the Google guys are all doing this interplanetary space stuff? You know, because the, I can't remember the name of the company, but Jeff Bezos and along with the, uh, I believe it, I don't know, Jeff Bezos has a company doing something. I can't remember what it's called. And, I, and it might be separate, but the, the Google guys, and I think, um, what's the guy who did the Titanic, who directed that? Do you remember his it's name? Cameron. Cameron, I think, are in, in some kind of space company. And he's like, well, you know, in order to have the capital <laughs> to do something like that, you've had to have done something big. You know, yeah. and so all these people did stuff big on the internet and able to make their money. And then once these guys have this huge amount of personal net worth and capital that they can do stuff with, then they go after space. He's like, you can't start a, a startup space company, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not going to happen. So I, that, first of all, that's, which just goes along with what you and I were, I think we were saying, talking about this last show, right? You I mean, you, you can't start there. It's like, you can maybe do something that cool and that ambitious after you've made money that on something that's a little more, you know, uh, pedestrian <laughs> a little more right. like okay well yeah it's not sending a rocket to mars but you know it 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 people like it and it it uh people want to pay for so it. you said colby made a comment well no i was just thinking you know so um i was just thinking along lines like you know how do how would you prepare your a kid who's sort of has a bent towards engineering you know because colby's is he's sort of a born um engineer right that's what he wants what he all he does is build stuff and want to build stuff and you know it's just interesting to try and think like how do you how do you how do you push them or not you don't want to push them but you just want to give them the tools and and teach them how, th- how to think the right way and I, I was there's you know the uh, a great book I'm sure a lot of our listeners have read it was called surely you must be joking Mr. Feynman about Richard Feynman the Nobel physicist right. yeah and uh, he talked a lot about how his father would spend time with him all the time where they would go on walks and he would sort of explain how the world worked or how things worked and, and tell him to look at things in nature and try to understand how things worked. And that formed a really good foundation for how he thought about things. You see, the, the other thing is if you kind of take, cause, the, cause my mom always used to say to me, you can do anything you want. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. She like totally drummed that into my head. So I'm an absolute optimist and believe anything's possible, but there is a bit of a problem with that because when you fail a lot, <laughs> <laughs> let's say you're not particularly good right at, at whatever you're trying to do and you go after it but you you know it, it's a bit of a problem if you haven't been prepared in in a sense so how do you deal with that with your kid like do you do you prepare them for failure or do you just say anything's possible i think it's i think you have to strike a balance i mean you know you've seen you've seen these people on american idol who are just awful Right, mm-hmm. in his first rounds, and they then they think they're amazing, and when they're when they're not when they're not invited to Hollywood, they're just shocked. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're like, how could this person be so delusional to think that they're talented when they just absolutely suck? And you, you run into people like that on occasion; they just have no sense of where they are, where they stand relative to everybody else. And I think ha- having an ability to be honest about where you are and where in in in, in in uh, in regards to where you need to be, I mean that's important, but it's also important to be optimistic and to and to dream and to be able to chase your dreams. So I think you kind of have to have a little bit of both. I mean, you can't be delusional, but you can't be someone who says, "Oh, I failed a couple times. It it, it just wasn't meant to be, or I'm just not good enough." Because you know, I've, I I know people and in, in different facets of life who um, didn't they weren't like the child prodigy that everyone, everyone's you know, thought they were going to be this world-class 
person when they were 10 or 12 or 15 years old that they were just good and and then they and they still made it and i'll tell one story about that um i may have mentioned this a long time ago but uh, it's worth repeating i think um so um there's uh, you know I, I mentioned before that i ran this soccer team for a number of years and mm-hmm. one of the um the a guy who was good friends with two of the players on my team um a guy named jimmy conrad he um he he in the end played on the U.S. national soccer team and played in Europe, I mean, on, on, which is at the highest level, right? Mm-hmm. When he was in high school and he played with my buddy Ryan at Temple City High School, he wasn't even the best kid in his high school team. He was like third best. <laughs> third best on his high school team. And this was wow. a regular high school team. He didn't get a scholarship or anything to go play for some big Division I soccer school. He, he got some partial scholarship at a Division II school down in San Diego. Yeah. One of the San Diego schools, I can't remember. Played there for a year or two and became like the captain or one of their standout players. And But it was just a Division II school. It wasn't as, as nearly as competitive as, as he would need to be if he was going to give a shot, get ever get a shot at going pro. And so he um, he ended up walking on, get, calling up and talking to the coach at UCLA. UCLA is one of the top soccer programs in the country. And the coach said, all right, look, I'll give you, I think he said he'd give him three days. A walk on, <laughs> and he's like, but if you don't make it, he's like, you know, understand that you'll be giving up your scholarship and everything at, uh, you know, the, whatever UC San Diego or San Diego State, whatever school it was he played for. And he's like, fine. So he took the risk. He gave up his partial scholarship and his starting position and everything at this school and went to UCLA. And he made made it as a walk on. He was the last guy on the roster. <laughs> he's the worst guy on the on the UCLA. Team. <laughs> and because another guy on our on my my men's team. Um, uh, guy we call Birdman. <laughs> Birdman was his roommate, and he's like, "Yeah," and, and he said he was injured his whole year, his first year at UCLA. After having, he was he, he had transferred from another school, yeah. and was a real standout at the um, some school in uh, I can't remember, uh, San Francisco State. So anyway, he said the only per- and he was injured his whole year with a pulled groin muscle, and he said the only person on the team who had less respect from the coach and the rest of the team was Jimmy, his roommate, Jimmy Conrad. <laughs> so, what happened to, so what happened to him in the fullness of time? Well, okay, no, I feel like this is funny. So, but Jimmy, he said, would train, he would do his extra training session by himself every day. Every day he would go up and go running and, do, and work on all his weaknesses. And I, I was asking Bergman, I'm like, well, did you ever do that? And he's like, no, dude. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, practice was hard enough. And in the end, he became a starter and they won the national championship. And, but he still didn't get drafted to the pros. And he ends up getting a, a friend of a, someone who knew him made a call and got him a walk-on tryout with like a second division pro team down in San Diego. He goes, gets walk-on tries out, becomes a start, makes the team luckily, and is a starter, you know, probably making like $12,000 a year or something, you know, just barely getting by, probably, you know, delivering pizzas part-time or whatever to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> he, he ends up doing that for a year or so. And then he, another person, a friend of his, uh, who had a connection with an MLS team, uh, the San Jose um, Clash at the time, now the Earthquakes, he got a walk-on tryout with the San Jose Clash, um, goes up there and makes the team. This is an MLS first division team, right? This is, like major, this is the major league. And he makes the team. So he makes it to the pros. And within a year or so, I mean, he's like a starter. And then he becomes like, I remember he was the McDonald's defensive player of the year in the MLS. <laughs> and he makes it to, um, and I remember watching him. We're down at the, at the MLS All-Star game. He's playing in the All-Star game, MLS All-Star game. And then I remember this, I can't remember what year this was, but it was in the off season and we were playing 
you know, and our team, like I mentioned before, our team was like a semi-pro kind of team, like a really yeah. top-notch um, and, and whatever team. So, and all those guys on my team were ex-pro or played D1 soccer. So we were in, it was our, we were in the off season and Jimmy, along with another guy, Peter Vaginus, who was the captain, one of the captains of the uh, Galaxy, was in their offseason, and they were going to come play in our, in our game because two, two or three of their friends who they went to play, who played with at UCLA, were all on our team. Yeah. On the car ride to our game, because they're calling me like, dude, I got Jimmy, I got Peter, we're going we're gonna to kill tonight. And then he's like, to get there, I'm like, I'm like, and I see him walk on the field, and he's like, yeah, man, he just got a call from the national team. Jimmy's going to, going to the national team camp on Sunday, so he can't play. He doesn't want to take a chance getting hurt. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> and then Peter chickened out because he's like, yeah, well, if Jimmy's not going to play, I don't want to get hurt because my contract's still in negotiation. So he goes, makes the national team, he starts playing all these national team games. And then I remember watching the World Cup, and I'm, we're playing against Italy. The U.S. is playing Italy, and he's playing. There he is, playing in the uh, World Cup. And it's, I mean, he was the third best kid on his high school team. That's awesome. And it's just, it's just through, I mean, basically stubborn perseverance. Yeah, I mean, he what he outworked everybody. He was always the fittest guy. He always outtrained people. He would always he just he said that you know my buddy Birdman said in college he would always go and talk to the coach and ask him what he should work on, and he would go and spend an extra couple hours every day working on his weaknesses. So is he? Would you say he's a talented player, or would you say he's just a really hard worker? I mean, he had enough talent, right? I mean, he had enough talent. But he wasn't somebody who was who had blazing speed or, or unbelievable wizard-like footwork. I mean, he was solid. I mean, he was a good size, six probably six one, six foot one, six foot two, so good size, fast enough, just a good solid athlete. And he just outworked everybody. He was just smart. And you know, the thing was, he was really humble. Like he would come and train with us in the off season sometimes when he was in town. And I remember one practice in particular. We, he came a Saturday morning practice, and he we're, we're right at the end of the practice, he comes up to me and he's like, "Hey, Jason, thanks so much for inviting me out. I really appreciate you guys allowing me to train with you." <laughs> I'm like, "Sure." You know, I mean, he's he's this guy who's like an an MLS All Stars training with, and he's thanking me that he comes out to her, that I let him come out and train with us. Right. Rather than acting like a like a hot shot, act like he was too good to even be there and that he's just going to, you know, maybe do us a favor by training with us. He had he was humble and he was just yeah. guy. he was always working really hard. So in pra- so rather than sitting around our training session and if somebody passes him a, da- a, la- a bad ball, kind of yelling at the guy or acting like he was a hot shot, he was actually just working really hard. And it was just I think it was that part of being humble and and then just working hard that just, you know, made him succeed and never gave up. So my mom was right. Anything is possible. It is. I mean, that's the starting point, but then you just have to work your ass off and never give up. And if you're not going to work your ass off and you're just going to talk about it, which happens a lot. I mean, you see a lot of people move out to California to become actors or directors and they just talk about it, man. They just, they just, they talk about getting an, uh, an agent. They talk about an acting class. They go to every once in a while, but they don't really work that hard. They yeah. just, they give up after a few years. It's just kind of half-assing it. It's, it's like, yeah, you have to have a baseline of talent. I mean, you, you can't be just you know, talentless, but then you just have to just, just put in that work day in and day out, year after year. And just, but do you then give up like a whole – I mean, did, you, did this guy train more than you've trained? Do you think he's put more effort into it than you have, for example? Oh, hell yeah. So, so he's given up a lot of life for that. Like he's, he's completely and utterly specialized in soccer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was his thing. I mean, you know, that was his thing. And um, just like um, 
everything that you've done in music and and um, you know you took a long time and just did music for how many years six seven eight yeah but I never specialized the way that you're describing this guy and that was that was the the thing like I'm sure I could have been successful in music but I always kept a foot in the other camp of computers and earning money and keeping up like all the guys who made it in music the whole time I knew them had nothing lived <laughs> lived off no money lived off social security did nothing except for music 24 7 yeah, I mean, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think you could have a little bit of a backup plan. I don't think you necessarily have to have nothing, but I think you really just have to make that your focus, make that your your primary thing. I mean, so when everyone else is screwing around and and and, and not, you know, whatever they're doing, I mean, you're out, you know, doing training and working hard or practicing or whatever it is that you know you you need to do to be good at your craft. And uh, yeah, no, these these guys, I mean, that was their primary thing, and. You know, they, they would earn extra money through busking. So they, they'd like play on the street and uh, play the guitar and try and get some change that way. I mean, yeah. they, would, they were just 100% musician. That was their only thing. So they doubled, so, they doubled down on their price. So they, the way they made money was by practicing in a way. Well, they doubled down, but also they put all their eggs in that basket. So for me, I always knew. I always had this little kind of thing. Well, I've got this escape plan. Like it doesn't really matter because I can, I can be, make money programming because I'm a good programmer. You know? Right. So when you've got that in the back of your mind, it means that your level of commitment and, and the effort that you put in isn't the same. Yeah, and it, but it's always risky, right? I mean, there are people who throw everything and then they find out they're 50 years old and they want to be an actor and they just never made it. And they're just like barely able to scratch, a, uh, scratch by making a living. So it's just you have to decide whether you're willing to take that risk, you know. And some things, you know, you can – like for, for Jimmy – um, and by the way, his name, this guy's name, if I haven't said, was Jimmy Conrad. So you can look him up on the web. Um, there is a story, the, the soccer player. Um, but I think, um, I, th- I think you just, it's just, it's about just, uh, some people just have a dream and it's just, they have to do it and they're just going to just chase it to the end. And, you know, some, some percentage of them are going to work hard enough and have the talent and have some lucky breaks. And like, I know in just to use the soccer example, I mean, there were guys on my team who were, who, who were right there. They were right on their precipice. They were great soccer players in college, and they had scholarships and national team and all this kind of stuff, and they got injured at the wrong time. They, just, yeah. they, they, they called up to training camp at one of some big MLS team, and they were there, or they were playing in Europe, and they got the call up, and then they blow out a knee or something, and then, you know, and they never got the call up again. That's just bad luck. So I did the search. Jimmy... James Jimmy Conrad is a retired American soccer defender who last played for Shivas USA in Major League Soccer. During his 13-year MLS career, he was four-time MLS best XI, whatever that is, uh, and the 2005 MLS Defender of the Year. And he gets a page on Wikipedia, which, which even we don't have. Yeah, he's a smart guy, too. He, he majored in math at UCLA. Super, super nice guy. I mean, if you met him, you just, you just, yeah, you could see why. And you know, I think it helps, too. I've heard this in Hollywood. Um, friends of mine who are in Hollywood, you know, you remember we had Dan on talk about divergence, but six weeks yeah. ago. Um, yeah. And one thing he said is that you just want to be a nice guy because <laughs> you notice that the people who are on set are there because the other people want to work with them. Yeah. You know, they're just easy people to be on. They're, they're positive. They're, 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 they're easy to work with. They're the kind of people you want around. And you see why Jimmy, that just gives you that extra bit of a shot, right? If, you, if some guy's on the bubble and you're thinking, ah, you know, I don't know, maybe, but like, hey, he seems like a nice kid, working really hard, real positive, you just give him a shot. Yeah, definitely. You know? And uh, I've seen a lot of people who I thought were really talented, but they just had a bad attitude. They just thought they were just... You know, they just thought they were hot shit and they were just, it's just annoying to be around people like that. It just, it's just kind of, you just, part of you just 
doesn't want them to succeed because they're such a jerk, right? And you know that kind of works. That tends to work against them. Okay, changing the subject. Mm-hmm. You know the whole Kickstarter light table thing. They earn two hundred thousand. The other guys bridge. They earn five hundred. Or was it five hundred thousand? I can't remember. So I came across another Kickstarter project during this week for Pebble, the e-paper watch. Do you ever hear about that? No. Mm-hmm. Ten million on Kickstarter. Good grief. Is the project? <laughs> 10 million on Kickstarter. Can you believe it? You, oh, you, you, you want to know what the project is? Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to ping you, ping you the link so you can have a quick look. So basically, um, they have a, a watch uh, which uses an e-ink screen. And you can get apps for it. You can program it through your iPhone. And so you can use it as like a, a running tool. Um, you can use it to control your your iPad as well, your iPhone, your iPad to change change songs, and basically it's it's just a really really clever and nice idea. You can get great watch faces for it, and because it's e ink, it looks great. E ink like in the Nook and the Kindle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's really cool. It actually looks kind of cool. Yeah, and uh, and sixty eight sixty eight thousand nine nine hundred backers, ten million. They oh. they had a hundred a hundred thousand dollar goal. Yeah, I'd say they surpassed that by a bit. <laughs> That's awesome. That's it's unbelievable, really cool. isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, that's why one thing I like about this model, this whole kickstrapping concept, <laughs> you know, term you coined, is that, you know, when you invest in something, to some degree, you're kind of asking people to speculate on what people want. But in this, you're just saying, here is what we, we're going to build. Do you want them? And the, and the call the customers like, yes, <laughs> take my money now. I'll prepay for it. You know, well, it's, 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 that's the whole Amy Hoy. Shut, shut, uh, do you remember Amy Hoy said in her talk, you know, shut up and let me give you my money? Yeah, yeah. Well, and we also talked about Jason Cohen and when he's talking about WP Engine, which is that, you know, going around and talking to customers is great. Going around and getting them to sign a check before you even have anything is a real sign of interest and commitment. You know, that's, that's much more real than someone just going, oh, yeah, sounds cool. I think I'd probably use it. You know, someone says, all right, here's a check for 100 bucks. Let me know when it's live. And assuming that you'll probably only, you know, take the money if you launch. And this is kind of what, like doing that, this facilitates, this, you know, Kickstarter facilitates doing that on a large scale, right? I mean, I'm assuming people will get what, I mean, I'm assuming they, they'll actually get a watch if it. Yeah, yeah. Is. I mean, but the, see, now these guys, like with the bridge guy, there, there is a slight difference. Um, the, the light pad guy is a bit of anomaly because, well, no, even he had made the software. He had proof, proof of concept demo software working. Mm-hmm. Bridge. The, these guys are all engineers who have, I don't know, electronic lathes, and they've they've built the system. They've already built this uh, this dock for the iPad. And these guys who made this watch had already done a few, you know, had already built some prototypes as well, and already built and sold some prototypes. So these guys did have a track record. It's not like they're just coming coming there for the first time, some you know, twenty year old kids, and saying, "I'm going to make this iPad watch." Yeah, no. Uh, well, you, yeah, so you got to do something. You you have to show some kind of uh, um, execution, I think. Mm-hmm. Like you you articulate the idea in a way that people can see the the that you sell the dream in a way, but actually show some progress, some execution. Like this isn't just some BS. Like if they just wrote a description of it and just had like a sketch drawing, I mean that might not um, really. Uh, convince people to put in money but when you see what they have there you're like okay well it looks like they're pretty close you know yeah 
Um, especially when you can outsource so much of the manufacturing. Now there's so many companies where if you send them 3d drawings using, you know, like SolidWorks or some of these 3d rendering programs, they'll actually manufacture a lot of it for you. I've I've read, I've read a lot of stories like that in wired over the years. It seems like, um, it's not like you have to go and open up your own factory or something. Well, that the video that they've got on Kickstarter is kind of cool as well, because, um, it, it kind of shows how it shows their first prototype where the, you know, one of the guys basically somehow got an e-ink screen and like plugged it into his cell phone and <laughs> managed to program it and do things like that. So it, it really shows the way that they've, they've got there. It's cool. It's super cool. Oh, yeah. you know, one thing I wanted to mention, I, I didn't, I've, I kind of, we got off on a tangent. I was going to talk about, you know, how I was trying to prepare Colby for engineering. Oh yeah. 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 Making. So do you mind if I jump into that? Or no, do you want to talk about this? So, so one thing is, you know, there's, you know, I, Legos is, are, is such a good, are, Legos are such a good uh, tool for just learning how to build and make stuff, not only for cre- just for basic creativity, but just learning how to solve problems when, when creating something. And um, so he, he spends a ton of time on that. And what we've done is we signed up for two courses this summer. There's a, there's a company called Playwell Technologies, and they have a one course is like engineering fundamentals. It's like ages eight through 12 and they teach the engineering fundamentals using Legos and motors and engines and stuff. Yeah. And there's another one, I think it's about like flight dynamics and stuff using Legos and stuff. And so we've signed them up for those two things, which flight dynamics. A, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but he's going to love it. <laughs> How do you make Legos fly? I don't, you know, I don't even know what they're going to do, but he loves, I mean, he always, he, he's always making paper airplanes and rockets and designing rockets and doing Legos. So that sounds like a perfect thing, but just, it's amazing that those things even exist. Those, those kind of classes are around. And yeah. I guess it's lucky where we live in Pasadena. And I've talked about this with a lot of parents who, who around here, it's just amazing what we have available in Pasadena. It's just, everything is here. It's like you, you want, you know, Equestrian, there's an equestrian center. You want gymnastics, you want uh, the you know, aquatic center. I mean, you know, it's like everything. It's just so we, so we're kind of lucky where we are that we have stuff like that. But you know, no matter where we live, you you lived back in 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, there was not anything like this. But um, oh, and one other thing I want to say, unless you want yeah. to, no, 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 sure, no, no. Hey, listen, I've I've been bringing the topics up topics up so far. Um, it's probably your turn to to drive it a little bit. Yeah. So one thing I. I, I want to teach him a little bit uh, about electronics because he's been playing with his snap. I think it's called snap electronics or something snap grid, which is, you know, one of these things, you, these little kits that have all of the, you know, the resistors and capacitors and motors, and you can kind of, kind of easily rearrange them on this board and it makes little circuits. And so I was like, I wanted to talk to him, kind of work with him on it and, and help him understand it. But then I realized that I don't understand circuits that well. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, I remember trying to learn this stuff when I was, teach, teach this to myself when I was like 13 or 14, reading some books in electronics. And so I said, right, you know what, I'm going to start refreshing my knowledge. And so I found a pretty good online PDF. It's like 500 pages, but it goes through kind of everything and basic electronics, circuit design and analysis and everything. And so I've done like the first, I don't know, 100 pages. So I'm up doing like parallel and series circuits and, you know, <laughs> all these things. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. So, and I, I was trying to explain to Colby last week, I was trying to get him the basics of like how atoms work and electrons and neutrons and protons and these kinds of things and how, how, what is electricity and all these things. So, but it's kind of funny. It, w- one thing is that when you have a, when you have a kid it gives you an opportunity to like re-engage in things that you really couldn't rationalize spending time on it otherwise. Yeah. 
like if I said, hey, you know, Justin, I'm just teaching myself electronics. You're like, well, why? Well, that is kind of cool. <laughs> you know, why are you wasting time doing that? And but you know, there's no better reason to do it than it's like, well, my kid is, you know, he's just a born entrepreneur. I mean, uh, engineer, and he wants to build stuff constantly, and he's interested in this. So, you know, that's very cool. Yeah, so I, I kind of, I mean, I'm gonna start with electronics, but I want to do it with other things too, like you know, chemistry sets. And like, oh man, I'm gonna start teaching myself chemistry again. <laughs> kind of learn, <laughs> relearn my chemistry. We'll like, like build, like, uh, we, you know, come with these really cool chemistry sets and and start teaching them that. And I don't know, I was, uh, it just, it's, it's kind of fun to be able to do that. I'm kind of ex- excited. It's like you get to be kind of a kid again and to build like a, I'm like, I'll build like a little mad scientist laboratory <laughs> with all this cool equipment and just like, let's do an experiment and get like a little, you know, lasers and play around with them <laughs> or whatever, you know? That sounds awesome. <laughs> like, if, but if I was doing it with my own, you'd be like, I'm like, hey, yeah, Justin, I got these little lasers and I'm doing stuff. You'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like, what? Come on, we shouldn't you be working on any food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, total, that's like a waste of time. <laughs> But uh, yeah. So anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. Cool. So um, let's see. Do I have any top? You want me to bring a topic? Should you got something you want to? Sure. Uh, well, how's um, you were working at Uber this week? Um, we didn't get too much done on any foo. Um, I guess we're going to get back into it this coming week. We we our new schedule is to do an hour on it a day. How's things going with? Well, I've just brought up like three things, and then after that, I want to find out how things are going with App Ignite. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I was up at Uber. So, you know, every three to four weeks I go up to San Francisco for three days to work with Uber and whenever that happens. So I'll leave on like a Wednesday morning. I come back on a Friday night. So that's three days that we can't, I can't work on anything. I mean, I'm just, it's totally Uber the whole time. Right. Um, so that's why after Tuesday I was done, um, that we had to, you know, push it to the following week, but yeah. So and now I'm kind of recovering from burnout. For some reason, any t- every time I go up there, I'm like burned out for the rest of the yeah. week. And like, I just don't want to work on anything. I, I just don't even want to sit down on my computer. I'm just like, ugh. Um, and I, I don't know why that is. I just think it's, I don't know. I think sometimes when you go on-site consulting and you're just, you're, you're doing something for 12 hours a day, and you're just totally just absorbed with it. You just, you just, it's just, you get burned out. Yeah. And um, so, um so yeah, but I the other thing I want to say is um I think the the idea of doing an hour a day is a really good thing. I think that and for a lot of reasons, the you know, it's like rather than saying, Well, I work on my project whenever I have time, it's that works out that it works out sometimes, but a lot of times what happens is that just life just gets in the way and then and you and you kind of get disconnected from it and you stop working on it for, you know, days or weeks or months at a time. And it's like yeah. exercise. If you go every day and it's just part of a habit, and then if you do miss a day or two, it's like you, you get back on it pretty quickly. And I think an hour a day actually when we were doing that last week and the few days before it was I think it was working. Yeah, we were getting stuff done. And we will get stuff we will continue to get stuff done. I actually think, and I actually like the fact that we're working together at the same time sharing screens. Yeah. Even if we were doing, kind of working independently on slightly different things, I think it keeps you both kind of in it. Like you're, you're both working together. And that's why it's worked so well for the guy, for guy and myself for the last, you know, however many years we've worked together. You know, it's just, you know, you get the phone calls, all right, time to get going. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's it's a it's already a proven a proven methodology for you in your life. So I think it was a good suggestion on Sandy's part to for that to happen for us. Yeah, yeah. So I, I cause there was a, there was a um there was a 
somebody had asked a question on Hacker News about this, like, why well, I have kids and family and I'm finding it almost impossible to get any work done and, you know, my side project. And there was a lot of interesting discussion about that, people questioning whether he, whether he should even really be pursuing a project. You know, maybe he should just focus on work and, and raising his family. Mm-hmm. And uh, other people, like, how to do it. Some people were saying, look, don't, you need to make sure you get enough sleep, so don't, like, st- you know, if you're going to just work at night when everyone's asleep, you got to be careful not to burn yourself out because it's going to be, you know, in the long run, that's going to work against you and all these kinds of things. And I still remember uh, a talk by, uh, or maybe it was an interview of uh, Joshua Schachter, the guy who created Delicious. Yeah. And I th- if I recall, what he would do is he'd work a, 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 in the morning before work for a half hour every day. And it was, okay. it was just making continual daily progress. It was, he would have this one thing he'd want to get done. He'd have it in his mind and he'd, you know, have breakfast or, you know, whatever, and then sit down for a half hour, knock it out and then go to work. And that was it. And the, but over, after, you know, however many months, three or six months of a half hour a day, especially if that half hour is really focused, it's sometimes you, you know, you get a lot done. So yeah. I think for people who are really busy and have fa- a family and can't afford to, uh, be funneling a lot of time into something else and you know, maybe doing something like that, something very modest, but consistent, you know, and well, yeah. you think, well, what's his face? Uh, uh, DHH who created rails. I mean, he did that on the side. He was going to school and, and doing consulting for, um, 37 signals and he built rails as sort of a side effect on the side. Well, he, you know, I mean, it wasn't like he was spending eight hours a day working on the thing for six months. Well, talking about rails. So how's, did you, uh, any progress on Epic night this week? Well, no, because, you know, when I went up to Uber, I mean... It, oh, it, that just knocks you out. That knocks you it, out of it. Knocks me out of everything. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're continuing on the same path. Nothing's really changed much since the, our, our, the, the show we recorded on last, week, last weekend because, yeah, we, it was only two days of work. But yeah, it was the same thing. You know, we're, we're going to get the uh, basic... We're going to open source the basic sort of micro framework, Epic Night framework, um, starting with the uh, object relational mapper and then, you know, some of the routing and auto loading and just other basic, just kind of just the, the, the core essence. And then, um, and then, uh, we're going to get the rest of the sort of the web app working so we can at least use it internally and then decide whether it's something we want to do, um, and do a release and, and charge for, but, you know, I actually had an idea for another, uh, another, uh, project, something I, you can monetize. Go on, go for it. Awesome. And is this something that you can do uh, that you guys are thinking of doing with um, Epic Night? I don't know. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about it. I mean, I was thinking about like, well, so I was up at, one thing they do at Uber is they do a, a daily stand-up. Yeah. And which I think a lot of companies do now, right? You, you, you've done that with Glenn. We, we do that. Yeah, we do that. We the company 52. No, I can see that working with maybe five people or less. But I think when you get to like, 20 engineers standing around, I think it gets a little, I think it, it doesn't scale. Because um, I, 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 I went to, I think they had one stand-up while I was up there. I missed one of them because I got in there after lunch. And then, yeah, so, so I went to one of the stand-ups and there was like 20 people going around the, you know, and that included like the math team and everybody. Yeah, they should sub, they should sub it. They should split it into <clears throat> groups of, yeah, like, you know, I think it can work to eight people, maybe 10, but 20 is definitely way over the top. Yeah, so I just was like, I was sitting there going like, I have no idea what these people are talking about, and I don't care. I just, yeah. like, whatever, I mean, you know. It did. And I asked a couple of the other engineers, I mean, they didn't want to say too much too loudly. I'm like, so what do you think of these standoffs? They're like, well, you know. It's like, I was like, do you understand what they're talking about? No, not really. Do you care? No. I'm like, okay. So what's the point? And the point 
the point is to try and keep everybody on the same page to some degree to give people, give people a sense of what's going on, right? And keep yeah. people sort of accountable. Like, so what are you doing? All right, what are you working on? What have you gotten done? You know, do you need it? You know, just to kind of keep, yeah, just, I guess, connect with the other engineers and it's particularly whoever the project manager is, to the, or the, the product or product project manager to get a sense of like, so, so that they can understand what's going to be done and when, right? It's also useful to know what other people in your company are doing. Like, so for example, in company 52, because we're, you know, we do consulting for different clients. So oftentimes, you know, one, one engineer will be doing something for one client, another engineer will be doing something for another client. And if they're mentioning it during our roundtable in the morning, it's, it's good to just generally have some sense of what everyone's doing. That's useful. Yeah. yeah and so I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it's not like I did a I talked to all the engineers and asked them, hey, what do you think? It was just a couple of guys. I, I just happened to mention what they thought. And they kind of were like, I mean, which you'd, you'd expect people to say, which is like, I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily get a lot of value out of what 20 other people are doing, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, but it's the, the meetings, but it's, you know, it's a half hour, it's sort of a half, you know, in the end, but it, in terms of the total disruption, 20, 30 minutes of just kind of doing nothing. And I was thinking, you know, what would work better is if you had a little uh, software, you know, a web app where every day you get an email reminding you, hey, you need to by noon or by five o'clock or whatever, write up your, your daily summary, which can be like a, you know, three sentence kind of description. We're just working on this, this, trying to get this done. Bang. Maybe you also have a couple links to tasks that are whatever task management app. Like, you know, like a link, if it's using a son or whatever, you know, it, it, you could actually have links to those specific tasks that were completed if you, if you want. That would be kind of maybe down the sidebar. So then you'd get an email blast the next day, the next morning, which would be a sort of like a one, uh, uh, it could be either, in an e- the whole thing could be included in the email or it could be linked to a page and would say, here's just a one to three sentence, just summary, sort of a short little paragraph from each person of what they've done. So you could just kind of quickly scan over it, right? And then you could actually comment on it. So if it was something that did involve, you could say, hey, by the way, make sure you talk to me about that before you do X, right? And um, you could also then click on someone's name and you could see, okay, well, here's what Justin, here's his daily summaries for the next, you know, month or three months. And I could sort of see all the stuff that you'd work on. I'm like, oh, you know, I meant to talk to him about that, you know? Hmm. So just having sort of like a virtual stand-up. Yeah, so that sounds that sounds uh, interesting. Actually, my first reaction was, "Oh, well, people would ignore it," but um, but maybe if it was executed well, it could be good. Yeah, I mean, it was it's kind of interesting because one thing they use of it Uber is um, HipChat. Have you heard of that? But, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's like Yammer or something, right? It's just like yeah, a, a Twitter thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it was not like Twitter. It's more like a. Um, kind of like skype like you have like a room so they have like uber engineering and everybody's in it and you can kind of just people are just kind of talking it's kind of like irc or something like yeah okay web-based yeah. group irc and you know in one sense you're like well why don't people just use irc or, or use skype or people would just ignore it but they don't they've actually decided okay we're going to use this thing and you can you can set enough preferences so it's not disruptive but so it's helpful and um but it's just one of those things it's executed very it's elegant it's clean it's simple yeah, it's simple tools. Like they use Asana for their task stuff, and everybody really likes it. It's kind of, they think it's simple and clean. They have HipChat for organizing, for, for communication. And I was like, you know, I just thought like some kind of virtual stand-up thing, like I've just described, would be useful. No, I think it, I think it could be good. I mean, that's that sounds. Um, we had we had quite a, quite a bit of kickback about the memory hole thing. A couple of people said they liked it, but quite a bit of kickback about people saying they didn't think it was such a great thing to be working on, especially 
A lot of people were complaining about the fact that it was a $9 one-time fee. I don't know why they said that, because we were talking about monthly. But um, I guess... I think they're uh, talking about Pinterest. Someone yeah. mentioned Pinterest. They said use Pinterest, for because Pinterest allows you to save links and write right. a description. And Pinterest is just, it's just the new version of Delicious, essentially. Right. Right. And not, not Pinterest, uh, Pinboard. I'm sorry, Pinboard. Yeah. I-N, not Pinterest. But I do like, I do like that idea. I mean, it, it would be good. That's the kind of thing where... It would be good to kind of mock it up first to, to get, a, get a feel for it. But what would you do? Would you mock it up or would you just start coding it? I mean, that is just so easy to build. I mean, like, that's, the, that's the thing at Epic. Just like I built that simple uh, hacker events thing that I never released. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you get the basics of it simple. I mean, just like what I've described, it's not a whole lot of features. And all the logging in, forget your password and all that kind of BS, it's already done. That's automatically generated. And uh, the database and all this, the API, all the stuff would be just there. So it'd be pretty simple. And the only things that um, that are not built into App Ignite, but which I now know how to do and have code that does, is the Stripe integration for charging and the uh, email sending through um, SendGrid. So... It's kind of yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it's the big deal, you know, um, and, and you, you, you could literally make it like a frantic weekend app. Yeah. I'll just, just, if, you know, we can, or you could spend uh, a couple, a couple weeks of an hour a day thing, maybe 10 hours you could have it done. And, um, yeah, but sometimes the simple things like that can actually work. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I would recommend you, you know, playing around with it because you, you, you have an hour or two dedicated to working with Guyon every day. So why not? Yeah, I, I thought it might be kind of cool. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I'll, I'll think about it again. But it's, it's another one of those apps like Hacker Events or like the Memory Hole. Uh, the Memory Hole not being the real name. That's just like our project Memory Hole. Yeah. Um, concept. The things that are pretty easy to build that could could build that. You know, it's just a matter of just sitting down and just spending spending a couple weeks and doing it. But um, I don't know. I was just ever thinking. I was like, you know, I mean, I think small companies, you could, you, it's free up to like say five users because anything less than five people might just have a stand up. But once you start getting to seven, eight, ten people, it starts getting overwhelming, and that's when it could become valuable. I hmm. interesting. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, what else do I have here? Do you got any uh, links? Anything you want to talk about? Or do you want me to? No, I'm good. This is this. Is, it's all yours now. We've got uh, we're we're over an hour. Uh, and it's we're actually now on ten, so it's all yours for the next twenty thirty minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, um, did you see the thing? Uh, there was an article was titled "German Solar Plants Produced a World Record Twenty Two Gigawatts of Electricity Per Hour." Yeah, I did. I saw I saw the article, but I didn't read it. Well, actually, that wasn't the title. I was sort of in some notes I did, but yeah. So essentially, um, it was the amount. It said it was equal to. 20 nuclear power stations at full capacity through the midday hours on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, that, so that's what they're creating from their already existing nuclear, uh, sorry, uh, solar plants. Yeah, well, they keep adding to it. They keep adding, you know, increasing their capacity. You know, and I, I mean, I guess last year accounted for 4% of their overall energy use because, you know, it, this is in the midday, right? I mean, yeah. you know, they don't have, it's not like it's Saudi Arabia um, in terms of just bathed in sun from you know, all day long and you're all year round, but it's still pretty powerful. And, and at least during those, those midday, you know, midday surges, I mean, they get a huge amount. I mean, 22 gigawatts, amazing. But, and that's only 4% of their whole power consumption. No, no, no. Well, that was just, that was just like, that was like a record surge, right? So that's how much they generated for, you know, a few hours a day for, on those days, on those two days. It's amazing. Well, it was, it's, it's amazing that, that it's only 4% and it's also amazing how much well, well, they, no, no. they create. 
if if that would have been if if that was fifty percent, I think they said that was roughly fifty percent of the entire nation's energy use. Oh really? Oh, so, that's that's wow, that is amazing. Say forty-five gigawatts for Germany's entire during the middle of midday. But if you said, all right, well, how much does energy does solar does their solar uh, other do their solar arrays and aggregate generate? Because you figure in the nighttime, in the evenings are not generating much or anything, and in the winter they're probably not generating a whole lot even during the day and you know so i think when it's cloudy and raining all that kind of stuff so in aggregate um it's four percent throughout the year but at that surge time it was half it is actually going off on a tangent here it is incredible to think that the sun is this steaming kind of crazy ball of energy burning and it's somehow stable enough to sustain life for millions of years i mean that that just as a thought to me is absolutely incredible i don't know that probably sounds left field but i was thinking about that the other day and i was like how is that even possible yeah i don't know where to go with that but (laughs) the universe is pretty amazing (laughs) i mean the universe is pretty amazing it is i was i just saw something uh you know, so I, I i watch a lot of these like science uh, universe type of shows on discovery channel yeah with colby and there's one they said that the latest one was a um what was it michio kaku um yeah I, mickey or michio i always get that wrong i can't get it oh, straight it'd just be the best thing to get him on the show he'd be the best guest we should i wonder if we could get him for episode 200 anyway Give it a shot, but I don't know. We'll see. So anyway, they said the, the, the latest estimate that there, were, that there were 500 billion galaxies, is their thinking now? Oh, my 500 Lord. 500 billion galaxies. And I was talking with um, an astro- the, this woman who's an astrophysicist. Her, um, her kid is on, my, is on Colby's baseball team, and so we would <laughs> sit and talk astrophysics a little bit. <laughs> And I said, you know, I was I got a whole conversation about Roger Penrose's laser, latest theories and cosmology and stuff, and so it's kind of fun to talk to her. And she goes, and I said, so I guess let me get this straight. So there's about ten billion stars. Is that the estimate for how many stars there are in the Milky Way? She's like, no, actually, she says we can't see them all because they're dim. But the, it's probably more like three hundred billion stars. Oh my lord! In the, in the Milky Way, three hundred billion stars just in our tiny little galaxy, and there's roughly they're estimating five hundred billion galaxies. That's just it's just insane. So they're, they're, what they're saying, there's five hundred billion Milky Ways. Well, I think a lot of I don't even think our our galaxy is even considered like a big galaxy. I think there are a lot of galaxies that are I think are, just like our sun is kind of pretty unimpressive as far as stars go. I think our galaxy is pretty unimpressive in terms of the number of stars. There are. Oh, that's just that's just mind-boggling. Like the the brain can't even comprehend it. Yeah, no, it's just beyond. It's just unbelievable. And then and one thing that's really cool is how many exoplanets we keep finding now. Because we used to think, well, there's hardly any planets, much less planets that aren't like these. They they, they were thinking, oh, if there are planets, are these big gas giants like Jupiter? So there wouldn't be any Earth-like planets that could potentially be life-sustaining. That they're all going to be. They're not many planets. If they are, they're gas giants. It turns out that's probably not true at all. It turns out there's tons of exoplanets it's just we weren't able to see them because our technology our telescopes weren't powerful enough and we hadn't figured out how to do it but now they just keep finding more and more and more and more to me it seems just stupid to think that there isn't life on other planets somewhere else in the universe like it's it's it seems so unlikely that there isn't life somewhere yeah at the very least is there's microbial life of some time somewhere i mean we may be so far away that we would never know about it but you know, uh, but I just read something uh, the other day. Uh, I, I don't think I have the link right here, but um, the 
they did. I guess the um, South Africa and Australia won some bid for these new the 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 I guess for these giant new radio telescopes. They're gonna they're gonna be like ten thousand times more sensitive than our current telescopes. So they're mm-hmm. gonna let me see if I can find this thing because it was pretty amazing. Let me see if I have it here. Um, no. I don't have it, but uh, yeah. So as we get more and more powerful, you know, um, telescopes, they were talking about being able to actually be able to s- detect the type of atmosphere that are on some of these exoplanets and what their geology is like. I mean, not wow. just say, oh, there's some there's some little dot crossing in front of some stars, so we can see that we can we can detect that there was probably a, a planet of certain mass because of the little change in the and the and the, the flash and light from that star. It's like no, we actually see what the atmosphere is made of. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, and they were t- I I read something else. They're talking about putting ultimately putting um, these big telescopes on the dark side of the moon in like a crater or something, so that it would be not interfered with. By uh, by light as much, and that it would be really stable, and of course it would just you know have even just incredible amount of sensitivity. Hmm. So I don't know. Actually, I was watching a TED. I was watching a TED talk. Um, do you ha- you have Hulu? Right, you watch Hulu. I do. Yeah. I have it on my uh, my Roku. I never. I, I'm always. I always go to Netflix because I I know how to use it, but I never use Hulu. I don't know whether you know, but but like basically all of the TED talks. Well, a lot of TED talks are on Hulu now, and uh, I was. There's there's lots to go through, but I just started looking at them. I was watching this one about um, these quadrocopters. Yeah, um, you know you know those ones. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just amazing. Like these these things um, are controlling themselves uh, like 600 times a second with their uh, what's it called? Like they understand their pitch and your and the altitude and all that kind of stuff. And um, oh, I've, I've even forgotten why I started talking about this. But anyway, these things were absolutely incredible, and they were getting like 50 of them to work in unison. Oh yeah, that's the reason why I mentioned it. Because of getting a team of these things to build structures. And I guess right. I guess they wouldn't work in space, but something similar to that where you where they had like a little jet propulsion system, they could probably build that structure on the moon. <laughs> yeah, well, I think eventually you're going to have I think eventually a lot of the construction if we do construct things in uh, in space whether it's larger spacecraft or space It's going to be robots, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be robots, and it's going to either be partially remote controlled and partially autonomous, and then it'll be like completely autonomous. I mean, you, you keep seeing that ro- that robotic, that Google car driving all over the place. You see these specials on that that wrote that. Yeah, yeah. Self-driving cars. I mean, it's very cool. I mean, you know, if if you could drive a car, they could fly a, you know, a, uh, and you have all these drones that are flying around, and they could be able to fly, you know, these you're going to have spaceships that'll be a maneuver, and and the good thing about robots is that uh, they don't need. I mean, they can be solar powered or, you know, they can have many little maybe nuclear powered things or ion drives or whatever. And they don't fall victim to like the cosmic radiation, you know, because one thing is when you get out there in space too long, too far away from the earth and you, you just get bombarded with like uh, these cosmic, you know, with cosmic radiation, which is. Did you see the picture of, from um, that very good picture of Earth that was like the highest resolution picture? I can't remember where it, where it was um, on. But anyway, it was amazing to me just how f- small the atmosphere is that thing's keeping us alive and it's absolutely tiny. Oh really? Oh, how thin it is. Yeah. Oh. I'm just, just compared. I don't know. I'm, I just keep on seeing a, a whole bunch of crazy stuff like this. And then there was, there was another one that put was put the, the amount of water on the earth in perspective. And it's like this, 
If you if you just gather all the earth, all the water into a little ball and put it next to the earth, it's just this tiny little golf ball sized thing compared to the earth. It's just oh, the overall mass, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Um, this is a strange discussion we're having. We're getting into the. This has been a science heavy. This is the science heavy. Um, oh, someone has sent me an email. Um, uh, let's see, it was uh, Scott Dykstra who sent me an email about? Uh, he, you know, what I was talking about the zombie apocalypse simulation. Doing that yeah. fun, and he said he sent me a link. There was the CDC actually did uh, an article called "Preparedness 101." For, you know, it's called yeah, "Preparedness 101: Zombie Apocalypse." <laughs> <laughs> you know the CDC is the Center for yeah, Disease Control yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah, actually, the CDC was right near where I um, grew up in Atlanta. A lot of uh, a lot of the kids went to my school. Their parents worked at the CDC, and um, yeah, so they were going around like tongue in cheek. You know, okay, so in case of a zombie apocalypse, you'd want to make sure you have X, you know, a gallon of water per person per day on hand. You'd want to have this kind of food, this amount of food, and this amount of you know this, and a radio so that when you know you can make a run for it at some point and find other people and that was kind of funny i guess so i got a couple other interesting emails um i got an email from uh he just put his name josh he was talking about the it was actually in the previous episode where i interviewed the um uh, james thomas from headlands technology about the high frequency trading yeah and uh he was asking about he was bringing up the issue of like well what's the um this is 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 it really good for is it sort of a drain on us to have a, a bunch of really smart people spending their time in the building's algorithms, gaming each other back and forth? Yeah. You know, like that's, and I've heard that before expressed, especially in the, in this, you know, in like hacker news, people who are in the startup world are kind of looking down on it as like, well, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, fine. At some point so it's ju- good. Ju- so you mean just as a general human pursuit, like get, getting clever people doing that. It's just like playing against each other. What's As opposed to say curing cancer or you know, right, yeah, whatever. Okay. I mean, you know, and um, and I, I was thinking. I mean, like, I, I think that's, I think that's a fair enough. But it's like the funny thing is, though, when you start thinking about that, it's like how much of what people are working on is really could, could you argue is really good for humanity as a whole. I mean, is how much of all these startups and social networks and apps and games? I mean, in the end, you could. It, it's hard to argue that a lot of them are that beneficial i mean sometimes well, this is kind of fun or this is kind of entertaining but you know it's like uh you know a lot of food that you eat that people that, that is, is this bad for you you know or a lot of yeah. well let's take it to its logical conclusion let's say that we worked on we all focused on the on the health benefits and the curing all diseases right and we got that licked totally mm-hmm. licked and then we were all able to live forever and we were all able to live very very long lives then what would you do? Then you'd be like, this is what um, Philip, Philip M. Banks' novels are awesome, like The Player of Games, which is a great uh-huh. novel. It's, it's this kind of society that it's just an artisan society because they've, they've dealt with all those issues. So what is the point of existence once you've dealt, dealt with those issues? Yeah, it gets kind of existential, right? I think you get kind of like lost and like, well, what's the meaning? What's the purpose? So I don't know. I mean, I think it's easy to take a shot at that and say, well, these people should be working on other problems but i just think a lot of these problems that people think of as like being more um worthy i mean a lot of them probably aren't that necessarily aren't necessarily obviously good for humanity in in general you know they're just like well maybe (laughs) maybe it's good and then again who's to say what's good and what's not i mean there's a lot of people would argue that some things are good and other people would say that those are bad and it's just it's not it's not an objective decision but it's also like your own personal things i mean 
for me, it's, it's a really big challenge to grow Plugio to $10,000 a month. Now, that's not very important in terms of humanity, but just for me, but like, it's, it's this thing that I've been trying to do. So I don't want to give up. I just want to make it happen. I want to keep on working on it until I've done it. Then once it's done, it's like, oh, okay, finally, I've done that. Now I can yeah. think about something else. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I mean, it's like for if individuals doing it, I mean, they're pursuing it because they, make, they can make money. In some cases, make a lot of money. Sometimes it's about solving really cool, hard problems using really playing around with really cool technology. You know, it's just um, a lot, a lot of the reasons that people are doing uh, startups of one kind or technology startups, of one kind or another. It's not, they're not really trying to make the better, the world a better place. I mean, that's not their primary motivation. They might pretend that they're, they're trying to make the world a better place, but really they're trying to make money and have fun, you know? And that's, uh, you know, the play with cool technology, make a name for themselves, make money, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, 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 that's the whole altruism world, uh, global altruist, altruist outlook is sort of, I think, a stretch. I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but what, what do you think the point of life is? What do I think that point? I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question because I don't think I don't think there is a point to life. I think we live and we kind of make our own meaning. Hmm. Okay. You know, I don't think there is one, you know, point to it. It's, you know, but I don't think we should go too far down the philosophical path because I don't think that leads to a very interesting discussion. <laughs> I don't think it's. Uh, yeah, I don't. So, um, yeah. Oh, you know, I think kind of related to this. I don't know if I've ever talked about this in the show. It's something I've been. It's like kind of a a. Um, an, an article I've been meaning, or blog post I've been meaning to write for a long time, um, called "Defining Evil." Did I ever? Did we ever talk about this? No. So I've been kind of thinking, like, could you come up with an algorithm that defines evil? And I think the simplest algorithm that captures the essence of it is that the amount of damage you cause other people for your own gain. Mm. So, if um, well, why why does gain have to be involved? Or, or for your own benefit, for your own benefit. Why, okay, why so, does benefit? Well, let me explain. Well, I mean, let, me, let me explain. Okay. okay, let me explain. Okay, so let's say that um, I go and I shoot you. I break in your house and I kill you to, to just to take some money, take your wallet. Okay? Now, that would seem evil, but not as evil if I just shot you for the fun of it. Right? Okay. So, so by, by fun, that's the gain. That's the benefit. The gain is, again, entertain me. You know, okay. or what if, what if, um, you and I were both starving to death and, um, and you and I were fighting over this last piece of food and my, my family was starving. And at the end it was a fight to death. And I just said, well, I have to kill him because I have to feed my family. They would probably think that might be sort of evil, but not nearly as evil as, you know, shooting you for entertainment, which would be not nearly as evil if I shot 10,000 people for my own entertainment. Or so, so if, if I killed somebody, if I killed, if I was a, if I was sort of like a, so let's go back and say we're running some little, you know, city states in some ancient world, right? And we're fighting over some water source or some land and it's, and it was a battle and you kill, you know, you're, you're in charge of an army and you kill a bunch of, of uh, the other soldiers, you say, okay, well, how evil was it if like, you guys were attacking us first or something? Versus if I just said, well, we're just going to go in and kill a whole bunch of them because they have something we want. We don't necessarily need it, but we want it. You know, it's like, 
Those are the gradations it, of evil. It's funny because you 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 initially started by saying it's like how much how how much damage you do times by how much gain you get, but it almost seems like it's the inverse of how much gain you get because basically the more gain you get, the less evil it is. That's less, what I mean. Oh, okay, right. So the less gain you get, the more evil it is. So if I started a war that resulted in a million people killed for just political advantage to advance my career, that would seem pretty evil, right? It's, it's more evil to kill 10 people than it is to kill one, right? Would you say that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And would you say it's more, it's more evil to kill someone than it is to, say, punch them in the face? Yes. Or maybe to, it's more evil to punch them in the face than it is to kind of make fun of them, right? So, <laughs> you know, so, but, but, so the more damage you cause, in aggregate, the most damage you cause is killing somebody. You can do an individual basis, probably, um, or, and then the, or maybe torturing them to death would probably be the most. And then torturing more, the tons of people to death would be the ultimate. How would you convert the, the less gain to be a larger multiplier? The less gain. So, so, so basically what I'm saying is the more damage you do times by the less amount of gain you get equals the most evil, right? Yeah, so, I, I'm really bad at doing equations in my head when I'm talking, so I'd have to sit on a piece of paper. But essentially, um, I'm, 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 you, know, you would take the, the, the greater the value, so you would say... The amount of damage you cause divided by the amount of gain of your gain. So, if I cause you very little damage, let's say that, let's say that, um, let's say this. Let's say that I stole a car, and ultimately, you know, look at these movies where someone breaks in and steals a car because they have to kill it. They have to do something that saves a city from being bombed. <laughs> you don't really look at the hero and go, "Man, you stole someone's guy's car, right?" It's like the guy had to take this car because he had to get to the airport to get the nuclear bombs that didn't blow up the city, right? So what yeah. about this car? Now, you know, so that, so, so I can't remember where I was going with that, but right. So that's an example of like, I'm doing very, I'm doing some damage to you, but it's, 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 it's so small in the ultimate damage that, that, uh, in, in the big scheme of things, right. The damage. That well, so it actually starts to become good at one point, <laughs> because if you do zero damage and you get a hundred gain, Mm-hmm. That, right. So, you, <laughs> so that so then all of a sudden that's like do you know you're you're doing good you're not doing bad it's, it's the opposite of evil, right? And I and I think there are edge cases where it doesn't work out as much. So like, but I, but I think it's it's kind of like physics where it's like Newtonian physics works in 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 the general case. It's only at extremes like near the speed of light and stuff that you have to use like uh, special relativity. You know, you have to use mm-hmm. I, I, you know Einstein's physics versus Newton's physics, um, and I think this is the same with this. I think this would be like Newtonian type of physics of like of like an equation for evil. And I just I was I've been thinking about this for a couple of years, and I, I've been meaning to like write like an article about it and say this you is should totally do. This is what evil is the equation in the equation of evil or something. And and come up and, and they come up with like different edge cases of being tested and like you know a little damage versus you know a lot of uh, gain or whatever and I, I, that's why I think that it's very easy for for politicians to be evil because because of the power they wield especially in the executive branch I mean they can start wars and they can do things that can severely damage hundreds of thousands millions of people and usually it's only for their own political advantage of one to get reelected you know, to get their party votes, you know, things like that. Or oftentimes it's motivated by that. You know, I think, I think it is just hearing you talk about it. sounds like it's gain divided by damage. No. Uh, yes. Gain divided by damage. Gain. No, it's dam- damage. Damage divided by gain. Yeah. yeah. D- G. It's kind of the luck surface area was D times T, do times tell. 
<laughs> yeah. so, although somebody wrote in the comments, they had a better. Um, I think they had a like just like we're talking about like a, a you know that's a, a very simple simplified way of describing like the d times t is a great way of simplifying your lux surface area. Somebody had come up with sort of like a a better mathematical equation that described it and and at the edge at the extremes better. Hmm. And I think you did the same thing with the, the equation for evil. So yeah, maybe that should be. An, I should write that. I think that's damage divided by gain equals evil. Evil, right? <laughs> right, right. So, like, nice. You know, <laughs> that should be the title of the show. <laughs> you know, yeah. Equation, the evil equation, or something. Equation of evil, or something. Ah, <laughs> uh, I can't think of anything right. Off. I can't think of a good one. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So, let's see if I got. Let me see what else I got. Well, uh, bring yeah, what, bring this one up, and then uh, we can we can call it a day. Oh, speaking of evil, um, there's been a on the on the dark side. I'll do, I'll do one little, uh, I forgot what we called that, the doom and groom doom yeah. report. So there is a, an amendment uh, that's being pushed. But it's actually uh, by a Democrat and a Republican, um, Re- Representative Mac Thornberry from Texas and Ad- Representative Adam Smith from Washington State. They're trying to put an amendment into the latest uh, defense authorization bill um, that would strike the current ban on domestic dissemination of propaganda uh, produced by the State Department. So essentially, um, you know, because right now the you know we, we put out propaganda. The U.S. puts out propaganda in like war zones and other parts of the world, um, and that's not illegal. But we're but there is a. I think it was uh, was the um, the Smith Munt Act of 1948 and the Foreign Author- uh, Relations Authorization Act in '87 that prov- prohibits the government. The U.S. government from using propaganda on the U.S. and on its own citizens, um, and so they're actually trying to push that through. And it was again, it goes to like I think a thing I brought up a few shows ago, which is the idea that these these things that we use that we initially point outward end up being pointed inward. So like the yeah. the NSA spying on only on foreign, and then it was like that whistleblower Benny came through, and on those there was covered in a couple of those articles on and Wired about how you know. Basically, that uh, the NSA is capturing most, uh, if not all, email and phone calls <laughs> yeah. in, in the U.S. So that ter- it ends up being turned inward on us. And they were talking about how um, the concern I had was that these these programs for these sort of sock puppet, these persona management programs. Um, there was, I guess, a company called Intrepid, which got like a I don't know, pretty big uh, grant from the, the Pentagon to um, build these persona management programs. Yeah, where they said, "Well, these will only be they're like, but these will only be used overseas. Would never being used internally." But you know, then of course you see, then oh, a few months later, it's like, "Oh, we're going to start using propaganda internally," and persona management would probably fall into propaganda. So all of a sudden, you can see, like, you can imagine over, you know, maybe it starts out kind of small, but then over a period of five to ten years, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of fake accounts all over the comment section of New York times and Reddit and wall street journal and economist and you know, all these, you know, er everywhere basically pushing, pushing for one point of view or dismissing, you know, dissenting points of view. Did you see that thing about the internet bat signal, internet defense league.org? Yeah. That's sort of by Alex Sohanian, the guy from, from the founders of Reddit. Reddit. Yeah. what do you think of that? I think that's a really good idea. I mean, I think that kind of thing is a great idea because um, it just, just like, well, if you remember, <laughs> I, I caused a little bit of a controversy um, when the SOPA thing came out. And I said, look, you know, it's nice everybody wants to protest and stuff, but this is not going to last because people, gotta get, people get tired 
of the whole, okay, every time, every time for everybody to protest, right? Like my, my position was, unfortunately, I think you're, you're going to have to take this cynical path, at least with our current form of government the way, and the way our current media and, and governmental structures work, that we would have to start a lot, that companies like Google and, um, I don't know, Facebook and Yahoo and Microsoft, whatever, would have to start advocating on behalf of the internet use through lobbyist donations and, and buying lobbyists and, and fighting back all of this stuff being pushed by the, the recording and music industry. Right. Mm-hmm. And some people got pissed. They said, that's really cynical. And that's, you know, we shouldn't resort to that kind of stuff. But my concern is that, you know, we can get, everybody can get all fired up a few different times. Like, Hey, you know, turn down SOPA or PIPA or ACTA or CISPA, but eventually people just get exhausted. They just get tired of getting fired up. They eventually, they just kind of just don't. Whereas the people spending the money whose actual financial interests are at stake, it's a financial equation. So they're just going to keep funneling money into it. They're just going to keep, eventually they're going to keep batting down the hatchet and, you know, coming at the battering ram until they knock the door down. Yeah. You know? And so, so this is basically um, something that you can register, register to permanently. And uh, if anything like that happens, you're going to get notified of it. And uh, hopefully it will mobilize an army against these kind of things yeah so so this i think it's good but i said i i still i'm unfortunately not convinced that people will repeatedly get motivated i think at some point there's a diminishing times where people stop showing up they just get tired of it um you know they just it's just i don't don't know what it's just human psyche eventually just get it gets sort of normalized you're just like okay well another protest or another thing yeah but one of the things that they one of the things that they're doing is they're giving you um some JavaScript code that you can put on your website or websites mm-hmm. so that you don't necessarily need to get too involved. You just leave the JavaScript up there. And if something really important happens, a little alert will pop up on your website to make people aware of that thing. Yeah. Well, I love it. I mean, I love it. I think, I, I think it will work to a degree. <laughs> I really yeah. do. I, I, I do. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I, I, I think that, you know, the people power and everybody protesting, you know, however they can. And I think, you know, um, the stuff that they did, the, the Reddit campaign they did to run against that guy down in, um, the, in the, his district in Texas, who was supporting, who was one of the big um, sponsors of the SOPA bill, I guess. Yeah. That scared the crap out of other um, politicians. So I think that kind of stuff works. I think also just like just like the recording industry and some of these industries want to make examples out of individuals where they would try and send these people away for years because they had music on their hard drive. Yeah. Right. They, they want to make an example. They would scare the crap out of everybody else. Like, you know, I don't want to get some kind of lawsuit for like a hundred thousand dollars or I don't want to go to jail or something because I have a hundred, you know, uh, unlicensed MP3s on my hard drive. So people are just like, screw it. Right. It's not worth it because it scares them. But the few people who were made an example of, obviously, that was incredibly unfair to them. They ruined their lives. Yeah. And but you can also do the thing, do the same. You can also turn it around. So instead of just going and protesting in general, you go pick out a few of the sponsors and you make an example out of them. Just like you mm-hmm. did. You run all these counter ads and um, in their district and, and you just make an example out of them so that it scares the crap out of the other politicians because they don't want that. Because one of the big things going on in the in politics now is the um when that Citizens United passed, Citizens United allowed allows basically companies to pour unlimited funds into campaigns and into um, political action committees called super PACs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they so like AT and T or Halliburton or Exxon or Monsanto or Apple or whoever can just like put in just you know tons of money. 
you know, millions and millions of dollars to fund stuff. Just And so it allows them to just create undue influence in our democracy. I think it's a real mistake. And um, the one of the big, there was a show on NPR about a month ago where they were taught, where they were, they, they were talking about this and the uh, lobbying, all, all the issues with lobbying, and and the, and a lot of the politicians are really scared about the super PACs, because the super PACs will just come along and say they will just go and say, well, hey, we want you to support this bill, and if you do, um, you know, we want to put funding in your campaign, and we want to host fundraising events for you, whatever. They'll just come along and say, just let you know if you support this, we're going to be running just unlimited number of ads in your district running against you. <laughs> They're just like, oh, crap. So the sewer packs don't even have to spend the money a lot of times. They just say, just know we got this money and we will spend it against. uh, Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, you're right. So they they won't. So it's changed the whole landscape and it's going to change politics over the next. This reality is going to change politics over the next, uh, you know, five to 10 years. It just becomes normalized and it's pretty. It just sucks. But um, yeah, that needs to be overturned. I mean, if, if I had to go through like the five things that need to sort of fix our democracy. Cause I think things are, I think things have gotten pretty corrupt at this point. And I think um, that f- campaign finance report, uh, reform is uh, probably the, one of the primary ones. I think Lawrence Lessig talks a lot about this and he makes some- Do you ever think you should get into politics? Yeah, I wouldn't want to run for politics, but I, I, I care about things. I get frustrated by things. I just want to create, I just want to fix corruption more than anything. I just want to, yeah. f- and I think, I think there's about, four or five pillars that have to be pulled out for, for in order for that to happen. One of them being, um, you know, this camp, you can't have these unlimited campaign contribution stuff, campaign finance reform. I think all these lobbyists run around have corrupted the system, at least the way it's, it's works now. I think things like the media, I think right now that five corporations control them, the vast majority of all mainstream media. And I think that's a big problem because the media, even if there's like, two or three million people or even five million people who think all think that say things are corrupt or things to be fixed. They're, 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 that's just a fringe element. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the people who watch uh, CNN and, and MSNBC and Fox and, you know, ABC news who uh, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the center of the, of the political voting block. And so that has to be somehow corrected and, and not, uh, not owned under corporate interest and, and uh, whatever. So. Anyway, that's a whole other discussion, but yeah. Um, oh, the one, one thing I'll say about though is um, there's one guy I was seeing interviewed, and I forget it. I, f- I have to go back and find it, but he was talking about something similar to the bat signal like about a week before. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a bat signal like, hey, everybody protest. It was something would go out to all the journalists who, who have any expertise in this area. Like, this just happened. Like, this was just, this, this ridiculous statement was just pushed out by the administration or by this official or that official. And there needs to be a critical examination of that by, uh, um, credible, by the media, yeah. media, by credible journalists. Now, you know, we say, Oh, Iran has, is developing a nuclear program and it's been proven. It's like, that's BS. Like the people who know something need to jump on that right now before people keep repeating things and getting people thinking that we need to go and bomb Iran. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, you, you know, so it's like, I was listening to that and I was like, you know, I would actually like to build that software. Any ideas who that was? Yeah, I think it was, guy, I think it was Gareth Porter. I think, and I think, about it, I think he was interviewed. He's like, a, yeah, I think he, uh, I think it was on, uh, well, anyway, yeah, I think I, I'll, maybe I'll see, I'll see if I can find the link. But that was just part of a larger discussion about, I think he was talking about, uh, he was probably talking about the, uh, the Iran uh, negotiations that are going on. And uh, that came part of it. 
Well, I think I think that uh, constitutes as uh, doom and gloom. <laughs> that wasn't too bad, was it? <laughs> no, not not so bad. But this that's a nice way to end the show. I I don't know. I don't think I have anything else. I think I'm out of I think I'm out of material. Let me see. I could talk about well, this is more doom and gloom about the Apple Microsoft patent troll thing. <laughs> well, I, I have to I have to head pretty soon, but um, if you've got a quick one, go for it. Well, I'll just do a quick one, just so it's it's not well. It's about patent troll. So basically, the title is Apple and Microsoft behind patent troll armed with thousands of Nortel patents. So essentially, Apple, Microsoft, EMC, RIM, Ericsson, and Sony all teamed up to buy uh, Nortel's patents for four point five billion. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I think that was a couple. Ago. I think so. so yeah. Yeah, so uh, essentially um, they, they, they pulled out some of the patents that they themselves wanted for defensive purposes, but then there was a remaining 4,000 patents that were, that were put into what was called Rockstar Consortium, and it's basically like a nine or ten person outfit with eight of them being attorneys, and they were the, like, they were the patent licensing arm of Nortel, and now they're just going around suing people as a patent troll <laughs> called Rockstar Consortium. So that'll be that added. Was it Intellectual Ventures? The guy was the guy from Nathan Meverold, the Microsoft guy who started Intellectual Ventures, which is still this the first industrial scale patent troll. Hmm. This is this is creating another one with four thousand patents. It's going to be nasty. Great. Yeah, <laughs> so that's another thing that has to be reformed. What was that? What was the article we had? The innovation, the innovation freedom foundation, the IFF. Yeah. If. Yeah. <laughs> if. <I can't> <laughs> if. <laughs> if. If only there was freedom of information. It was one of our listeners came up with coined it. I, I would have to look in the comments. I can't remember who it was, but that was a great term. Okay, well, I've I've got something uh, a little positive note to end the show on. Um, I have donated twenty five dollars to a Kickstarter project which aims to make the world's first human flying the helicopter powered by human. Mm-hmm. That's my story. What do you think about that? A, a, a human powered helicopter. So basically, it's. It's uh, it's going to be like a bike <laughs> that has a very very big helicopter wing that's made out of very light material that turns around pretty slowly, but it it turns around to the point where it will lift them off the ground. They just have to hover for a minute, and then they then they win the prize that's been I think uh, it's been out there for like a hundred years or something. <laughs> Making the world a better place. <laughs> that's the way I roll. Twenty-five. <laughs> Cool. Well, I guess you get a piece of that magic. All right. It's called Atlas. Yeah, you, you just just Google Kickstarter Atlas. Right, well, send me a link so I can put it in the show notes. They've raised. They're, they're trying to get thirty thousand, and they've raised nine thousand. I'll send you a link. Yeah. Mm, cool. All right. Yeah. Well, I think we're. I guess we should probably call it right. Yeah. All right. That's crap. We're out. Yeah.